Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Algae seem slimy and icky, but could help us tackle climate change. Now, it's hard to imagine algae being something that's cute, after all, it's slimy goop. But in Japan, there's a rare form of it that actually is almost like out of a cartoon. And we find out about how algae can help us sequester carbon and lock it in for the long haul, helping keep creatures on Earth safe as CO2 levels increase in our atmosphere. Soft, fragile, cute, green and squishy, living in an underwater environment rare lakes. This sounds like something from a video game or perhaps a whimsical animated movie. But in Japan, in the island of Hokkaido, up in the north, there's a lake called Lake Akan. And in this lake are some pretty amazing, fluffy, live balls, spherical green balls, of algae. These are known as marimo algae balls. And they come from the floating strand of algae, the Aegyrotopilia lineae, all bundled together through the gentle rolling motion of the waters in the lake. And it forms these really fluffy, soft, squishy green balls of underwater algae. Now, of course, given their cute nature and the fact that they look almost cartoonish, ranging in size from about a pea to the size of a basketball, They are very, very popular with not only tourists, but nature enthusiasts and even aquarium owners. Now the thing is, this little clump of algae that has bundled itself together in the ideal conditions in Hokkaido, a beautiful place in Japan, well, the challenge for this little algae is that it faces forces far beyond its comprehension. Because after all, algae relies on photosynthesis and the sun. And if you have a lot of sunlight, that can be often just as bad as no sunlight at all. And that's what researchers from the University of Tokyo have been exploring, including Project Assistant Professor Masaru Kono, and lead author in the paper, Akina Obara, have published in the journal International Journal of Molecular Sciences. Because these little cute balls, the marimo, are under threat, a great threat of climate change, leading to them getting exposed to way more sunlight than these little balls can handle. Now, to be clear, this particular grouping of algae together, of the Aegyrotopilia lineae making these little balls, it can be found in other places, not just in Japan, but those found in Lake Akan in Japan are actually some of the largest across the world. It's the only place really where they manage to get up to that 30 centimeter size. And because of this, you know, obviously it's a quite a big important symbol for the region of Hokkaido in Japan, They are having their own annual festival, merchandise, even mascots. But because there are so few places that can actually grow these algae in the right conditions, marimo actually are endangered species, and globally their numbers are generally on decline. Now, the reason being is that marimo rely on nutrients and photosynthesis to survive, like all algae and type of plants, and you need the right kind of freshwater lake. As we talked about before, the gentle rolling currents in motion in a lake actually helps promote the algae to bundle together to form this ball. Without that type of lake environment, well, the water would be too rough for the algae to actually form a spherical clump like this. Now the thing is, the other problem is researchers don't exactly know what's causing the population numbers to drop off. Normally you would say, well, they're in the water, so if you pollute the lake or you make it too choppy with lots of boats in it, then okay, well then the algae won't survive. But actually, it's probably a little bit more complicated than that. 
Now, the thing about Hokkaido is that Hokkaido can get incredibly cold, and it's one of the northern islands in Japan. And in particular, if you go to Lake Akan's Churu e Bay in the wintertime, you can actually end up with huge, huge amounts of ice cover over this lake. And this is really important because that amount of ice cover actually blocks a lot of light, making it through to the algae underneath. And this is significant because when you're a creature trying to survive in the wintertime, you're conserving energy and you don't have a lot of resources available. The water is cold and it's difficult to undertake the chemical reaction of photosynthesis. So there's not enough energy there for you to do it. So they generally don't. But if all of a sudden there was a huge amount of sunlight there, but the water is still freezing cold, this creates a pretty dangerous condition for the algae. They actually can't handle that much light. Too much light, like walking into a, a bright area after being inside a dark room, can really hurt your eyes, but it also can hurt the mechanisms used by algae and other things to process and undertake photosynthesis. So bright light, and lots of it when you're not expecting it, is a huge problem. And what they saw is that you know, the algae could survive around bright light for up to four hours, but then it would need 30 minutes under moderate light to recover. But if you expose that algae to more than six hours of bright light, it actually kills it off. This is literal proof of the problem that we're talking about here. Too much bright light at the wrong time can cause really big problems for these cute green balls of algae. Now, to actually further prove and analyze the study and get this data, they carefully bored out of the waters of the lake some of these 10 to 15 centimeter balls of algae, these marimo, and took them all the way back down to Tokyo, where they then had special environmental conditions with ice makers and white LED lamps all set up, and where they had the algae strands plucked from the marimo balls and isolated and tested individually. And this enabled them to see exactly what was happening with the lighting conditions on the algae and as it changed in the water temperature. Now, if you had the water at a really cold temperature, around like two to four degrees, and it could, couldn't really handle significant light, and it could handle moderate light pretty well as it sort of acted like a healing effect to it. But if you gave it strong light for six or more hours, the algae cells inside that would just die off. The reason why the researchers are concerned about this and trying to understand the way the algae performs in changing light conditions is though Hokkaido is very, very cold and prone to ice drifts and snow, it's not always, especially as the climate changes. And if you get days in the wintertime when the water is cold of lots of sunlight, like 10 hours of a day, well, that would be a big problem if the ice wasn't there to protect the marimo because they would be significantly facing greater risks of dying off. So for the researchers, this is important. For this endangered species of algae, this cute little green ball found in Lake Akan in Hokkaido, it's important for researchers to understand how to protect and keep these algae alive, not only representing an important cultural and regional creature, but it shows the challenges of trying to help creatures, animals, plants survive the effects of climate change. Sometimes it's not even obvious. You wouldn't think that something like algae could ever have too much sun, but even a more sunnier winter's day is actually a big problem for many species. There's some interesting research published in the International Journal of Molecular Sciences with lead author Akina Obara and with other collaborators from University of Tokyo.
Now, climate change is a big threat for lots of creatures on the planet, big and small, even algae. But, of course, algae can often help with many things. If you recall, actually, the atmosphere that we breathe today is the result of oxygen being created by algae in the very earliest days of Earth's history, without which, well, we would have had not enough to breathe. CO2 was processed into oxygen, something that is poisonous and combustible and pretty rare as much as we know across the universe. But we owe that air that we breathe thanks to algae. And algae may be able to help us once again with a problem that we created ourselves, anthropomorphic climate change. Now, researchers from the Max Planck Institute for Marine Biology have recently published in the journal Proceeding the National Academy of Sciences a way to use algae, brown algae in particular, to help tackle climate change. Lead author in this paper, Hagen Buchweiser, has been fascinated by brown algae because the excretions of brown algae are incredibly complex and really, really difficult to measure. But there's a good reason why you would want to. And that's because they're a real wonder plant when it comes to absorbing carbon dioxide from the air. If you think about some brown algae, you'll find it actually outcompetes forest full of trees. A field full of brown algae could be really amazing at cleaning up a lot of carbon dioxide from the air when you consider basically a surface area or growth equation to try and govern it. The problem is, how do you actually make it work? And to do that, you need to see ways you could get that carbon absorbed back into the seawater, maybe through some kind of sugary secretion. Now, to do this, you really need to understand the way brown algae works and maybe give them a bit of a nudge to sequester that carbon in a way that's not going to cause other problems later. Now, that's why researchers like Hagen Buchweiser are trying to study exactly how these brown algae work. Now, when the brown algae absorb carbon dioxide, they give out a secretion, amongst other things. One of them is called a phacoidian. Now, this is around half of the excretions from brown algae. So it's not all of it, but it is most of it. And the phacoidian is incredibly complicated in terms of molecular structure, which makes it really hard for other organisms to use it. Nothing likes to touch it or interact with it. That's actually really helpful for many reasons. The first is, that means that the carbon dioxide is kind of trapped there. The carbon is not then eaten by something else and then gets back out into the chain. No, no, it's sequestered and pretty much locked into that phacodium because nothing else can sort of interact with it in an easy way. And that makes actually brown algae pretty good at sequestering carbon, not just in the short term, but the long term. Now, brown algae are very, very productive. You can estimate that they absorb around, at the moment, one gigaton, or one billion tons of carbon each year from the air. Now, that is pretty good. And if you look at the results from this particular paper, which analysed how much was actually sequestered by the brown algae, so stored and locked down, not just stored temporarily in the algae itself, they were sequestering around 0.15 gigatons of carbon, which is equivalent through some numbers and calculations, to around 0.55 gigatons of carbon dioxide each year. So that's permanent sequestration, or very near, near to permanent, about 100 plus years, of carbon actually locked in. Now, 0.55 gigatons of carbon sounds like a crazy number to begin with, but actually, if you consider a large industrialized economy, say Germany, the home of the Max Planck Institute, well, Germany's annual greenhouse gas emissions are around 0.74 gigatons of carbon dioxide. That's crazy. 
sink that brown algae on its own from our estimates and understanding is almost sucking out of the air and locking in for the long term almost the full emission of a country like Germany. Now, it's even better than that because Foucaultian also actually doesn't contain any nutrients like nitrogen. And so you can have this brown algae just keep growing and it's not affected by sequestering and losing all that carbon, which means it scales pretty well and doesn't run into any hard limits. So, okay, brown algae is pretty powerful and pretty good. The question is how best to use this knowledge and understanding. Since it is able to sequester and lock in carbon for the long haul, is there a way we can use this? And researchers like Buchweiser are trying to find ways to look at brown algae and species, different types of brown algae and in different locations, because it may be a way to use this slime to actually tackle and take out carbon from the atmosphere. It makes way more sense than trying to capture it from a mining extraction plant and pump it back into the ground where it could leach out. This is an existing natural mechanism that just needs to be given a bit of a kick along. So algae is at risk, of course, from climate change, but algae also offers potentially some help, and not on a small scale, a large scale, in tackling and sequestering for the long haul carbon dioxide. It's great research published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, with leader on this paper from Max Planck Institute of Microbiology, Hagen Buchweiser. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From cute green balls of algae, getting damaged by too much sunlight to the way that carbon dioxide can be trapped for the long haul by certain types of brown. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia. <laughs>